the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. I'm Nunzio Signori, and this is a really great honor. We're talking to Scott Brown, pitching coach at Vanderbilt. Scott's 2023 season is his 11th as the pitching coach and 7th as associate head coach at Vanderbilt. Brown has helped the Commodores produce a 701 average and strike out a nation high 5,963 batters during his tenure there thus far. During Brown's tenure, 35 Commodore pitchers have been selected in the major league draft, including 12 in the first three rounds. Brown has also helped the Commodores to two national championships, four college world series, final appearances, eight NCAA tournaments and six NCAA super regional appearances. Since 2013, 12 different Vandy pitchers have been named All-Americans. Brown first entered the coaching ranks after a stellar three-year pitching career at Cortland, a second-team All-American in 1999 after going 9-1 with a 2.03 ERA. Brown racked up 19 career victories at Cortland, a mark that tied for fifth most in school history. And from there, I'm going to let him talk about how he got to St. John's, which is a great story, and we'd like to welcome to the show... Vanderbilt's Scott Brown. Scott, thanks for being on, man. Uh, I appreciate it. It's great to be here. So I'm excited. Tell us first about how you began your coaching career from finishing up at Cortland, how you went from Cortland to where you ended up now at Vanderbilt. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good story. I got right into into coaching at Cortland as um, kind of a grad assistant. I was finishing up my undergrad degree actually first. Got into that um, right away. And uh, I got to give Coach Joe Brown some credit there as well because he, you know, he took me under under his wing and just uh, taught me at a young age like how to separate yourself as a professional and become a coach. Even though you know I was coaching players I had played with for the last you know two to three years, so that was a challenging time in my life of just learning how to separate. But um, it was great, especially at a young age. So I was at Cortland for a few years. Um, I actually got a job in the NECBL in Sanford, in Sanford, Maine. And um, up there in the NECBL, it was great. It was like a, a brand new program and they were expanding. And I was sitting there one day and I got an email across the board that uh, the coach in Vermont had uh, some junior college players and he was the, actually the pitching coach at St. John's. And, um, you know, the commissioner of the league had found out that that was illegal. So the, the coach was going to have to, uh, his name was Chris Johns. He was going to have to either resign from St. John's or remove those players from his team. So I actually found out that the St. John's pitching coach resigned 
uh, before it became public knowledge in any capacity. So I immediately got on the horn um, because I just wanted to be a division one coach at that time. And my wife now, Mary, she is from Long Island. So we were able to, you know, that was a move that we could make, even though um, we found out later that, uh, Coach Mike Meyer, when he did actually offer me the job, was only going to pay about $9,500 a year uh, part-time. So it's going to be tough to live in the New York area under that. But I was fortunate enough, um, our parents took me under their under their roof and gave me a room and a bed to sleep on and fed me meals and stuff. And it was great. And uh, I was there for for nine years uh, under Coach Mike Meyer, which I learned a ton. And uh, then I got a great opportunity one day from Coach Corbin at Vanderbilt. And uh, uh, we just decided to make the move across the country. So um, I, I have to, you know, just take a look at this nuns and say, you know, in the position I'm in, you know, not many coaches and people in the world can say they've been surrounded by such great people um, and mentors at, from a coaching standpoint. I mean, I played for Steve Owens, the head coach at Rutgers at Cortland, who's a tremendous coach, probably a future Hall of Famer. Uh, Joe Brown, I coached with him at Cortland. He's the winningest coach in college baseball, period. Um, from a winning percentage standpoint, and then in Division One, being able to coach under Ed Blankmeyer and Tim Corbin. I mean, what a what an opportunity! I've been very fortunate. And and you are what you eat, so there's definitely uh, rubbing off as you becoming one of the greatest coaches, in my opinion, in the history of college sports. You know, being around that pedigree, you know, aha moments every every minute. It's great. Just and then reflecting back on and all the stuff you've taken in over the years. Um, sometimes just subconsciously and saying, wow, those guys have really shaped me and I've learned a lot. So now that you've been doing this for so long, one of my main questions was getting to an elite status in college baseball program like Vanderbilt and St. John, maintaining that elite status. What are some of the things that you feel are the challenges that you face in order to maintain elite status like that? Yeah, both are difficult, you know, as far as climbing the mountain and then getting to the top of the mountain and staying there. They're both challenging, especially in today's world. College baseball just continues to get better and more resources pumped into it from, you know, different programs and stuff. So it it is challenging. And I think really what the big thing is, is, you know, motivation is the same, but the perception of motivation might be a little bit different. You know, when you're the hunter, you're looking to eat and you're you're chasing that. when you're the one that's being hunted potentially with a target on your back or so-called on top of the mountain and been very consistent, you become a little bit more of a protector. Um, and you have to really, really, you know, focus in and not let anything slip. Um, because if you do, somebody's coming, you know, when you're hunting, you can slip up here and there and you can still continue to climb. Um, but when you're on top, you know, that's the challenge is really just, you know, maintaining a good foundation and, uh, you know, building it each and every day. Um, I think one of the cool things about our program, and, you know, this is probably something you want to touch on a little bit later, but, you know, Coach Corbin's just his daily energy to being proactive. Um, you know, we meet in this classroom every day before we get going. And uh, the lessons over the last 11 years, I never know what to expect. I really don't. Even coming in, he doesn't, you know, I've seen a few of them over and over again, which is fine. It's great because it just continues impounding you. But, the way he creates things and, you know, builds standards and foundations in this program each and every year, you know, and the whole goal is just to have a high level, of, you know, performance in academics, socially and athletically, and the standards are upheld and to remain as consistent as possible. I mean, being the last team at the end of the year, um, it's a tremendous accomplishment, but it's it's not easily done. And you need luck. You need a lot of things. But what you can have is a great journey over the course of the season 
and you know have a great team and maybe you come up short on a scoreboard but the experience was great and the journey was great and those are going to make memories for the rest of their lives for these kids i sometimes to parlay off that you have to make sure that your training or your coaching doesn't become explicit you know what i mean like it's very easy to walk in day in and day out and do what you do and do what you do and kind of fall into a pattern sometimes i try to go back and say you know what today i'm going to go in there and i'm going to I'm going to train guys like when I was actually the one being hunted instead of the hunter. You know what I mean? I think going back to your roots when you were so nervous to do a great job that you walked in and you you had all your ducks in a row and now you still have your ducks in a row, but I know that I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I just can rest back on my laurels and reputation. And sometimes you got to keep that hunger. And sometimes I will say, today I'm going to walk in and I'm going to coach and train these guys like it's the first day that I ever owned a business or it's the first day that I ever actually trained anybody. And I could tell you, they bring me back to some things that I have stopped doing. And it makes me actually tighten up my screws. I've I've done the same thing over the course of the last few years because we've been presented with such great information um, in the pitching world from all different aspects, and you can get you know you can get lost a little bit. You can start losing what has brought you here to this point and your exactly. foundation. And you know I, I would say to you one of my one of my strengths is like I really don't have a philosophy. I think I'm very fluid um, in what I do from a teaching standpoint because. I think, you know, and maybe it draws back to my education at Cortland. You draw up these beautiful lesson plans and, you know, sometimes they just don't go as you plan. And you're like, what are you going to do? You can't just continue to execute the plan. You got to make an adjustment. And I think a lot of times when you're you're trying to get a, you know, a pitcher to perform some a certain craft, your plan didn't work and you're like, you got to adjust on a fly otherwise it's just a waste of waste of time and a waste of a day and quite frankly, you can set them back a little bit. So, um you can't be afraid to do that, but you know, keeping the main things, the main things um, through the years, you know, um, I actually just talked to my staff this year about the important thing to me this year is the main things, the main thing, the white thing is the main thing. Throwing the white thing is the most important thing we can do right now. Like all the other aspects, they help the constraints, the strength training, arm care, everything plays a role. But if you don't take care of throwing the white thing, we're not going to be very good. We're not. It doesn't matter. Um, you can throw piles great. You know, you can move a lot of weight. You can move, be a great mover. All right. But if you don't play catch with intent, and I say with intent, because that's really where guys get a little confused. Like they think they have to throw hard. Sometimes your intent is like how you're moving. So you might not hit the target every time. And I'm okay with that. But if your intent is at a high level when you're throwing the white thing and you do it under with good volume, we're going to be okay. We're going to be good. All right. You're going to start to see the return on the dividends for that. That's great. Getting out of a one way of thinking, like you were saying, you know, every pitcher is different. Having to step out of your box, that kind of is actually a method. Just no method is a method. And I think there's a lot of growth that happens as a coach when you actually step out of what you your comfort zone. I think that's an awesome thing. You've had some elite pitchers during your tenure at Vanderbilt and still do. What are the personal characteristics and qualities that make them elite? Is there a characteristic or two that stands above the rest? In other words, what are your like three non-negotiables when you're recruiting a new player? Yeah, when you look at guys that have had a lot of success um, here, I think the first thing is, you know, elite fastball. Like when I'm talking physically, they have an elite fastball. 
you know, whether it's a swing and miss fastball that they can just throw in a strike zone and it plays, or they have, you know, command of it. Uh, but it's an elite fastball. They start there. But the other thing throughout the years, when you start really breaking them down, and I know the game has changed the last couple of years, um, you know, as far as pitch usage, and it's come closer to 50-50. Uh, but if you look back at these guys historically, their 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 secondary pitch usage was was pretty high for for that time frame. You know, especially early two thousands. You know, and the, through you know, I guess you could say the teens of the two thousands with those guys. Their secondary pitch command was outstanding. Um, you know, they could throw it at any time at any count, and you know, we did it. We did it. So, um, and then I think the other physical aspect is you know they're. They're game managers. Their preparation is through the roof. It's consistent, um, and it's it's. I guess you could say different lengths and different details for each guy, but they stick to their preparation and their and their foundation. That as far as what they do, um, as far as mentality, two things that really stand out to me um, that I really try to my you know get to is competitiveness, uh, th- their ability to compete. And I look at this, you know, there's. It's Coach Corbin gave this kind of analogy a couple weeks ago, and it was great. He, he said, you know, competitors, they, they have a switch, you know, and everyone says, oh, you can turn it on and turn it off. But he actually said the competitive people in the room are the ones that are the dimmer on the switch. They know how to turn it up and they know how to turn it down. All right. And their ability to be aware of where they are in the competitive arena, um, they don't need to compete in everything, but they know when it's time to compete and they use the dimmer switch to turn that thing on. Um at a greater level. So that's a big deal for me. Um, and then, you know, the mental toughness, their presence, their ability to just, you know, move forward and compete at that level. Um, th- those are the two major like mental factors that I really kind of get to. Um, as far as non-negotiables when I'm recruiting, I haven't changed this since I ran into Coach Blankmeyer. I mean, he he gave me one day, I don't know if you know this guy, Howie Gersberg. He was a pitching coach at St. John's. Um, then he went to the California Angels way before his time. Um, you know, his view of pitching and Coach Blankmeyer had some notes on him. And he he told me, uh, don't recruit guys that don't have a clean arm action. Um, they need to be an athletic frame, you know, good mover. And, and they must have a clean arm action on the backside because I don't want them if they don't. And I've just stuck to that. It just seems to be a, a deal that works really well. Um, so that's one thing, you know, those are things I look at physically, um, passion, passion. Why do you do this? Like, I want to know, why do you play? Why do you pitch? Give me the reason. Do you love it? Do you want to be good at it? Just tell me what it, what it is, because I, it gives me an understanding of how they think, are they going to have a teachable spirit, you know, and, and what's their work ethic and investment level going to be in their craft? So I, I really want to know that, um, that's a big piece for me too. And I think in today's day and age, every everyone's training pitchers at a high level and you're having a hard time separating, you know, because you don't have the same type of like, I guess, you know, guys don't go seven, eight innings anymore. It's, you know, a couple innings here and there on a summer circuit. Um, so what makes them different, you know, from their, from their counterpart and, and separating that, that pact um, because that's a big deal, you know, and finding out what, what's going to make them successful. What's going to make them different because, Throwing hard's not in anymore. Velo is just like it's a baseline. You used to be, ba- you know, Velo, but now it's like there's got to be something that separates them from everybody else. And I think on the topic of passion, I think like anything in life, people that are passionate about what they're doing are usually the people that are really good at what they do. 
I find very few people that are unbelievable at what they do that don't really love it and aren't passionate about it, you know? And if you lose that, I think it's time to like investigate some other things. And is there a point where that passion can be so great that it overtakes an athlete and actually can work in a negative point? I've heard you talk a few times about the importance of being present. You just spoke about it on the mound. How do you go about addressing this and actually working on it with your guys as far as presence on the mound? Yeah, there's no question that some guys, and I think that's part of being a coach is, you know, sometimes you got to pull back and, you know, they're the athlete, you know, hey, take a day off. Like you're just, this means too much to you right now. Go do something else for 24 hours. You're going to be fine. You're not going to lose anything. So, and that's just feel, you know, and and that's understanding your guys. And I think as a coach, that's probably the most important piece is managing your people um, so that they they understand you and you can understand them so that message is received and performance goes up. I talk about that from day one. It's our foundation. You know, I just, you know, I, I lay, you know, lay out, a, I guess you could say a code. I, I use the term like, you know, you go to build a building and there's a foundation that you're going to build. But before you do that, you need a surveyor to come in and give you a code. And I tell our pitching staff, like, our code is really easy. It's, are you here and now? Like, are you present? Be That's number one. The second thing is, like, what's your process? It's one pitch at a time. That's all it is. It's not anything greater than that. It's one pitch at a time. Do it again. Do it again. I know it sounds so simple, but if you fall back to your code, it, it really helps you understand maybe where you are inside performance. And the last one is personality. Pitching personality. I call it PP, and it's like, are you um, an intense human being? Are you a calm human being? Most great warriors, I guess you could say, and competitors end up somewhere in the middle. But you can't try to be somebody else on the mound. You got to be your own pitching personality. It's huge. And you might be a nice guy off the field, and that goes back to that dimmer switch. And then you flip the switch, and the dimmer goes up full, and you're, you're a different guy on the mound. So it's understanding what your pitching personality is, not – just what your personality is. So those are the three things that, um, you know, we try to identify our code right out of the gate. And then we just do a myriad of things throughout, throughout time, whether it's quiet time, they have so much noise that sometimes I just sit them down for 10 minutes in peace, no phone, nothing, no music, anything, just still there. And I just tell them, I walk them through a cycle of like, recognize your thoughts right now. Um, one example we use a lot is like, imagine yourself on the game mound and now you are viewing yourself from the dugout. So changing perspective on how you view your thoughts. You're going to think negatively at times, but just don't stay there long. Get out of it. Recognize it and move on. The thing I was going to say about that, the central nervous system, as far as the sympathetic and, and the parasympathetic nervous system, when you're stressed, your body doesn't know what's causing the stress. It just knows that it's stress and it starts to, after a while, it starts to get addicted to that stress. When you hit a home run, you're creating sympathetic stress to your body. You're breathing heavy. You're, you're psyched for a good reason. When you give up a home run, you are so dark on your body that you're giving up sympathetic stress again. And it's creating the same endorphin flow in your body that you become addicted to. And that's why I believe, correct me if you if you don't agree, when guys are unsuccessful on the mound, they give up a home run, you have to shake that off. Because if you don't shake that off, you're starting to feed the system and it starts to become addicted to that feeling. And that's a feeling that you do not want to start becoming addicted to. No question. I mean, I think the 
there was a 60 minutes interview Sunday night with Jokovic. And um, I saw that. That was great. It was incredible. I mean, he just talked about like the guy said, you got this tremendous gift, um, you know, and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I he said, I, I I don't have a gift. I've worked on it. And he mentioned conscious breathing and he talked about I have negative thoughts. I'm a human being. I just move out of them quick. I move forward fast. And it was, I mean, it really makes you understand that like those elite mental, if you want to say mentally strong athletes are tough, they they move on. They everyone, everyone's thinking about what could bad could happen for a brief second and stuff. So that's a really hard thing that I find in my facility with the new and up and coming young athletes due to the world they live in. As far as college goes, this is a time in a young man's life where temptation is everywhere. How much of an active role do you and Coach Corbin take in helping your athletes be aware of making the right decisions? Every day, Coach Corbin's in there. He, he like I said, those the classroom every day. With the lessons um, that he brings in, I mean, he is a proactive teacher on, you know, just behavior. I mean, he talks about it all the time. The 18-year-old male is, you know, one of the most selfish living creatures on the planet Earth. And their ability to really start to have an awareness and a feel and understanding of their behavior, maturity, um, it's an everyday vitamin for us. He he does it. And then what he, you know, what he expects from us on the staff is that we model it and then we hold guys accountable. We, you know, if we're down in the pitching lab, you know, it's the same expectation as if we were standing on the field and Coach Corbin was next to us. I mean, we're just gonna behave and act in a in a way that, you know, is positive and mature. I mean, that that's it. We if we allow it, we're encouraging it. So um, and then the biggest thing is we we really we we don't put ranks in this program. There's no captains. There's, you know, there is leaders, but it's more about the older players modeling it and and really demanding the, you know, the behavior and how we handle things and uh, making good decisions. These are college kids. They're, you know, they're socially tempted um, and, and they need to be. They need to have time where they are out there doing that as part of growth in life. Um, and, you know, spending time with their buddies and growing inside the locker room and off the field is huge for a team as well. So, but being mature about it is more important, you know, so that, you know, good decisions are made. And if you don't teach it and talk about it, you're leaving it to chance. Um, not that you're going to be perfect, um, but we we do. We talk about it. We address it. Um, and, and in 2019, we won a national championship. But Coach Corbin talks about the best part of that year was not one time, not one time through that whole year, did any player come up to our offices and did we have any drama to deal with at any particular time that year? And, and I know the scoreboard took care of itself at the end of the year, but when you go home as a coach and you got your family and you're not sitting there worried about being bothered by, you know, an incident or something like that, it's a really, really good feeling. You sleep well that night and your mind's on what it needs to be on instead of being chasing drama. And I think you mentioned that 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 the nervous system. And I think a lot of times that, you know, drama is like candy for some of these these kids. That becomes a vicious cycle. Do you feel that the biggest difference that you see in these young athletes when they're coming in and this drama? Because I'm a father, you're a father, your kids are younger than mine. You are more experienced with the new young kids of this era. My, my daughter's 22, 23, but, but still I, I deal with it. Do you find that a lot of this stems from, I don't want to blame it on parents because parenting is a tough job, but I can imagine that parenting, parenting in this day and age with young 15, 14, 15, 16 year old kids can really be a challenge. Do you see a big difference in the young athletes uh, coming to you on day one compared to what you experienced, say 10, 15 years ago? 
There's no question. There's no question. They 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 think they know more. They do know more sometimes. Um, and and the biggest thing I, I really see is that there's a comparison trait. They, they they compare themselves all the time to their peers, the rankings, and you and you really got to talk to them about that stuff. And it's challenging because my son's a he's a 15. He'll be in 15 U this year, and I have to you know go watch these games. And parents are like, "This guy's ranked. This guy's ranked." They're like, "You got to be recruiting this guy." And you're going, "Those rankings they they mean something, but they don't. They're done by." People in a room, you know, that it's like, you know, it's their opinion. And it, it doesn't mean it's everyone else's opinion, you know. So um, and if that's a challenge, because then they, you know, they get overranked in their minds, they get underranked in their minds. And it just steals the joy of why they play the game from them. And I think trying to get them back to that and understanding that, that, that you know, to play the game for the love of the game, want to be good at it, enjoy success. I mean, if you stay to that simple foundation rather than, you know, trying to get a scholarship, trying to get drafted, trying to, we all wanted to play professional baseball growing up, going through. It was our dream. We all want to be big leaguers in that. But, you know, at the end of the day, most of us are not going to do that. Um, so you better enjoy it while you can and play it for the right reasons. Um, because, you know, those, the 1%, those are elite, elite performers, elite athletes in this, in this field, and they have elite skill. Um, so, um, uh, but that's a huge difference. And I think the other one is like just instantaneous gratification. They, yeah. need, they need success right away. Like they can't see that this is a marathon. It's gotta be, I'm sprinting to this. You know, if you move my finger on this pitch and a pitch design, my pitch should be, you know, go to a lead immediately. And I should have command of it. And I should do this and do that. And you're like, man, this is a skill, man. This takes time, you know, yeah. and there's no parameters on this race. This isn't, you know, this is a way different sport than football and basketball where the skill portion takes over and guys become better at skill as time goes on, you know, and their bodies change and awareness to their body. It's a different deal. And you're like, just stay the course. So that's an interesting point because that also carries over to their parents because when they come into my pitching program, sometimes I have a 14 year old kid, like for example, a 14 year old kid will come in on day one, when they enter the pitching program for the off season, it's, it's like the end of October, they're going to be here for four months. At the end of the first week, the father comes in and they ask if he can talk to me and I come downstairs and he says, Hey man, I just wanted to, to know, um, how many miles an hour can I expect my son to put on his fastball between now and March? I said, dude, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Everybody progresses at a different rate. It will go up. I just can't tell you how much I, I like, I can just imagine the, the stress on a kid stemming from their parents, you know, they're wheeling that we're wheeling our kids from appointment to appointment. There's no longer time spent on the playground falling off a merry-go-round or getting in a fight or, 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 or competing. Think that it's really, it's taking a toll on our guys. I mean, I see guys all the time. They're in my program. I give them, I give them training programs. Can't come in here and do somebody else's program. So 99% of the time they don't, but more and more I see guys in here and they're doing something really ridiculous. And they're looking at their phone. And I'm like, what is that you're doing? And he says, it's this thing that I saw. I'm like, listen, dude, do me a favor. Don't do any exercises that you see on Instagram right now. If you tell them to put their phone down, they almost can't. If they put their phone down, they're looking at it the whole time like it's a mile away, like it's going to explode. They're just addicted. I read somewhere that drug dealers and social media are the only two professions that call their clientele users. 
that's a really deep statement as far as how addicted right. our kids are becoming to it. Sure you know? is. I think I think you're 100 right with the cell phones too. In that we we actually have a rule here where we've created a box and it's like the non-human communication device storage unit that hangs outside the locker room and the phones Great. aren't allowed in the locker room because Great. they didn't spend time with each other and they 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 lock those in before they go in the locker room and you know because if it's 30 minutes a day it's 30 minutes a day that you're with your buddy and you're talking to the person next to you rather than you know sitting there and and just you know looking at your phone and doing the mead or you know the feeds and the you know the other thing you talk about too with these kids is like because like that parent comes in and and uh, is talking about velocity you know, and this is just an example. The the player loses, like, has no idea what their identity, their pitching identity could be. You know, 25 years ago was, hey, if he came to you, it was going to be like, Nuts, can you help my son get, get some more outs? Can you help him win more? Now, you certainly would work on velocity and, you know, pitch shapes and, you know, commanding stuff like we all have done for years. But the identification would be like, I'm getting outs. I'm going to help my high school team or my travel team, whatever it is, win, you know, and instead of like walking out of here saying, you know, I, I throw four miles an hour harder and uh, I rip plyos at such a high level or my spin rates up. It's like, can you, can you get outs? You know, that's yeah. really like of such a big deal. If anything you're going to work on is it's, it's gotta be with a goal of like, this is going to help me get more outs and help my team win more. I've got one more question for you. This, by the way, has been just an amazing, I've, I've written so much stuff down. One of the benefits of doing this. I know there are probably many, but if you had to sit here right now and right off the top of your head, give me two of your biggest aha moments that you got from your time at St. John's and in, in just in history in general from Coach Corbin, just from all the, like you were saying, all the great guys, Ed Blankmeyer, Joe Brown, all the guys that you've been around, what would be your two biggest aha moments that you continue to use on a daily basis that you think about, wow, I'm so glad that, that I learned that. Yeah, well, Blanky at St. John's, I mean, he was, <clears throat> he, he, you know, I learned a lot. He, he flat out just said, hey, this is your pitching staff. Um, when he interviewed me, he said, um, he goes, I'm looking for a guy that's going to wipe their butts daily because I am not doing it. And pitchers need their butts wiped daily. And I, I just never forgot that. And it led all the way, you know, he gave me a lot of room for failure, um, a lot of learning ability by just letting me do my thing at a young age at a division one, you know, program. Um, but I learned a ton just watching him manage the game. And when I was able to get the job at Vanderbilt, um, he sat me down and he looked at me. He said, listen, I know you're going to a higher level. I know you are and you've earned it and you've done it. But he goes, I want to tell you something right now. Be you. Don't ever, ever change being you. He's basically telling me, don't lose your innocence. Don't just, you know, continue to do the things that have gotten you to this level. Trust yourself and be you. Because um, it's which, working. Because it's working. It's great advice. And, it, and you feel fulfilled every day when you're that. Um, but the best advice he ever gave me. And uh, it almost brings a tear to my eyes is we we're sitting in the um, hotel lobby breakfast in 2014 in Omaha, Nebraska, getting ready to play the University of Virginia that night. And, uh, you know, he's sitting there. He was on the ABCA committee and he's, you know, he's got Coach McMullen from Virginia that coached with him at St. John's. And he's got myself on the Vanderbilt side. And I looked at him. I said, you got any advice for tonight? And uh, he said, yeah, I got great advice for you. He said, make sure you're a batter early, taking that pitcher out of the game. Don't be a batter late. I I read that you said that. That when I when I read that, I was like, dude, that is that's unbelievable. Why? And it and it makes complete sense, right? It's like, what are you waiting for? 
<laughs> he and he used to take the pitchers out at St. John's. Like I never said to him, "Hey, this guy should get out." He'd always just turn to me and say, "This guy ready? He's out." And I, I sometimes I'd go, "Whoa, why so fast?" But when he said that to me, I, I looked at him. And I he goes, "Yeah, if you're thinking about taking the guy out, get him out of the go game. Go do it." Yeah, <laughs> I said, "Man," and you know, it was great. That's it was that's, great. that's beautiful. How can um, how can guys reach out to you? How can how can people find you on on social media? I mean, I have a Twitter account, you know, yeah. Brown, Brown Vandy, and I mean, there's some DMs that go in there. I'm not real big on, um, you know, putting putting out posts too much and stuff, but yeah. um, certainly people could get a hold of me there if if I check it periodically. Um, the other thing too is, is just email in at Vanderbilt. I mean, if if there's questions, baseballvanderbilt.edu, and they will, you know, they'll get them over to me. You know, certainly willing to help anybody with, you know, coaches and parents and players, you know, inside the NCAA rules with, you know, any questions and that. I mean, just continuing to learn. That's awesome. And and you can reach me at, at Nunzio Signore on Twitter. You can reach my facility at RPP underscore baseball on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, our website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. I've got a book out on velocity-based training, how to apply science, technology, and data to maximize performance. You can get that on Amazon. It's also released by Human Kinetics. We've been, to co we've been talking to Coach Scott Brown from Vanderbilt today. And um, this has been one of the, the great ones for me. So, Scott, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed doing this. And it's been great talking to you and listening to all your podcasts. They've been awesome. Thanks, man. And guys, until the next time, stay tuned for the Behind the Seams podcast. Have a great day.